Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Hello, this is Miriam Margulies, and you are listening to Joy 94.9. Hello, and welcome to Been There, Done That, Joy 94.9, with Chris... And Phil. And Will. Oh, filling in for Gordon again. Exactly. And thank you very much for doing so. My pleasure. It's been um, brilliant. Thanks very much too for the band, for their snow dancing tune. When will the summer ever end, hey? Soon, I hope. No, keep it going. All year round. No, I'm sick of it this year. Too much humidity. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love it. I don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> we should put a referendum, you reckon? No. In <laughs> fact, I would like to point out that last Thursday, not only did it take me two hours to get home, I got drenched in the process. Oh. Oh, with the perspiration? No, rain. So you probably didn't have any in your, your posh little suburbs. No. We had a torrential downpour, and my train stopped running at Camberwell. I had to get out. No explanation. We don't have that when we fly. Will, you'll be well, able you to can't get out that. halfway, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> and the weather's not... It's pretty stable at 40,000 feet as yeah. well. So. <laughs> In today's show, we'll be talking about, as we do, gay history. Gay icons, dicons, bicons, pioneers and gay and broader communities... Interesting events in history that still affect our lives and useless pieces of trivia, courtesy of Phil. Well, anybody can contribute to useless trivia, thank you very much. I thought I was a bit of an expert at that too. Well, I hope so. (laughs) Spread it around. We tend to not consider current affairs to be history, but I think we really should uh, look at what's happening every day and how the world is changing from when we were born or when we had our 21st birthdays and recognise that that is history in the making. All these changes. I went to the uh, Melbourne Queer Film Festival and saw 10 movies, most of them okay. Over the weekend I saw the film regarding Robert Maplethorpe and then on another day I saw the film with Scotty Bowers. They told the personal stories of these two fellows. Uh, Robert Maplethorpe was a photographer who came up through an era when moral behaviour was being challenged. He was a photographer whose work was of interest to students of photography here in current uh, tertiary educations. And the story covered the AIDS era, and I don't think that a lot of those students had had their minds exposed to the actual drama and horror of the events. And the theatres really went quiet when Maplethorpe was displayed or shown in his bed in the hospital 24 hours before he died. Uh, Okay, it was a representation. It wasn't really him. There was an actor playing it, but they did it ever so well. And I thought, this is good. This film 
is entertaining on its own level, but it was interesting how history was being displayed. And I don't know whether, well, being as young as you are, <laughs> that you had much exposure to the AIDS era? No, well, actually, it's probably what caused me a little bit of difficulty, to be honest. Um, when I was 13, I realised I was gay, and that was right on the time when AIDS was becoming prominent in society. And I think the TV commercials and the whole stigma behind AIDS is probably one of the main ingredients, which had me sitting in a closet for, for many decades, literally. Mm. So, uh, um, yeah, I remember it very well. I was an early teen, and it certainly did affect me in the wrong ways. Yeah. Yeah, so. But imagine those people that were born in 1980. Mm. How old are they now? And and they would have not experienced uh, the, the, the horror, the, the horror and, and how it was displayed on TV and, and talked about in society, yeah. Yeah. you know. So, yeah, and it was definitely an effect on me at the mm. time as a teenager, as an early teenager. Yeah. And the other film that I th- saw was Scotty Bowers, who in fact returned from World War Two, and was working at a Hollywood petrol Bowser station. Mm. And before he went into the army, he used to set up people with dates for casual sex in his own home little town. But here he came back from the war and set up at the petrol station. He was the grinder of... The 1940s, 1950s. Exactly, and his clientele ended up being those closeted people from Hollywood movie industry that couldn't do things because they had an image to maintain as part of their clause of employment with the film companies. And they got up to riotous activities. But once again, some of the people shown in the newsreels, and these were actual newsreels and interviews with Scotty and all his crew, there was stories there of well-known actors in their decline, Mm. one of them being Rock Hudson. And once again, you had in the same shot the before and after pictures uh, from a current magazine of that time. And there were students of film in the audience and it was a good education for them as well. And it, w- it would have lifted a few eyes, no doubt, within the, the young group in the in the theatre? Oh, definitely. Mm. Yes. It's funny how you mention it, because it, it gives me a little bit of an understanding, this grinder guy, would you want to call it, <laughs> having set up um, a place of fun in behind his service station. Everything was done behind closed doors, and in retrospect in time, this, this was a recent thing, really, the 40s and 50s. And technically, yeah. it was recent. And I could just imagine that his party place or his place yeah. of, of casual sex would be like some of the best fun and the best entertainment in the world back then. And it's funny now because you have the same thing happening in a lot of Middle East countries where homosexuality or being gay is not accepted. It's some of the best places to visit when you're behind yeah. closed doors because yeah. it's all done with a tappity tap tap or knock on the door and, and you're let in. And there's some of the best party scenes in the world when you go to these places where it's not good. And, so. and why are they best or why are they good? Not because of the actual activity, but no. the mere fact that the people can relax and be themselves. That's right. Is no. there an adrenaline rush in not being caught? Is there an or, implied or, risk? Or being there and the risk is yeah. hanging over you that the door could be bashed down any second and things could get very but ugly. But this whole subject it goes almost back to the McKinsey report. America, Not, not McKinsey, Kinsey. Kinsey, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Mr. McKinsey. <laughs> America is seen as such a prudish society. You, know, you can't swear on TV and you can't show certain body parts and... Yeah. Behind closed doors, it's an entirely different universe. Anything goes. 
Well, everything goes. Whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't yeah. ask me what I'm talking about because I'm just <laughs> spouting words at this point. Isn't it funny how when something's repressed, it's it's probably the most popular uh, because some of these uh, porn sites on the internet say that their highest usage or highest visitation is from the states in the Bible Belt in America mm. as opposed to you know your Californias and your Washington states and so on. Those Bible Belt states apparently have got the lowest employment rates as well, so they've got all this spare time. Yeah, true. <laughs> It um, seems to be working for them, this Bible stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also have got a couple of anniversaries that we'll mention at this little part of the show. If we can indulge your attention, please. Diana Ross was born in, on the 26th of March, 1944, the US soul singer. And she was such a part of the disco generation, the 70s and 80s, and she has influenced lots of other singers from that point on. Beyonce and a lot of the current female singers have used her imagery and her yeah. music style. But she also had a career in the 60s oh, with yeah. the Supremes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, which it, were a bunch of pizzas, as it turns out. Oh, no. Supreme pizzas? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you, thank so, you indeed. But uh, Diana Ross was also used by the gay community by those drag artists who wanted someone larger than life to emulate. Because see, that was I can part understand that being a, becoming a, a gay icon. Yeah. What I don't understand, understand are the Kylies of the world because she's not flamboyant. She's not doesn't have the huge afro or anything that would be so easy to imitate. No, but... She, no, but uh, Kylie's Kylie, that's the thing. Kylie is neighbours. She was the, every girl that all the kids wanted to be either a friend of or a sister to. Oh, I must be the odd one out. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't get it. Now, on the 25th of March, 1947, just three years later, was born Elton John, the UK singer and... He's had such a long, long career. May yeah. I be pedantic? He's done well. Yes, Elton John was not born on that day. Well, Reginald what was he, Reg? Dwight was born. Thank you much. <laughs> okay. You pedant. You. Nobody would have heard of Reginald Dwight. Imagine well, lining up for that album. <laughs> <laughs> no. And so Elton, John? Um, well, John from Long John Baldry. Yeah. And Elton. I'm not sure where he dug that up. No, but if, if Gordon was here, he would tell us. He once again created his own world by his musical abilities with Bernie Taupman. He was doing, Elton John was doing the lyrics, and Bernie, they were just a match made in heaven. They they were, and they weren't even gay. Not as a couple. <laughs> no, no, no. But the the thing with Elton, and I, he really didn't need all his gimmicks because he was a brilliant magician. He is a brilliant, and he's also a very good advocate as well. He's oh, um, in, yes. heavily involved in fighting against AIDS since the 80s, and he has established the Elton John AIDS Foundation since Because he had to, in America, the mm. government weren't funding the research. That's just how America runs. Mm. And he used his star power, even to this day, the, the Elton John Oscar parties and things. It's their fundraisers. Yeah. And they're extremely, extremely popular. And his show, many years ago, it was the best concert I've ever seen from any artist. It was at Festival Hall, which made it cosy, yeah. <laughs> for want of a better word. He had done his three hours, and it was just after John Lennon had been killed. 
and Elton is John Lennon's son, Sean's godfather. So they went walked off stage and we think, OK, here comes the the encore, which is rehearsed part of every show. Yeah. They came back and did another 60 minutes of Beatles songs. Wow. And I'd say unrehearsed. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I get goosebumps now just thinking about it. It's the most magnificent show I've ever seen. Yeah. A lot of current artists only get their history or their story told after they've died. But there is a film in production at the moment called Rocket Man. And we're not talking about the Neil North Armstrong. Korean or <laughs> someone or from the Whitney. Yeah. No. This is that part of Elton John's life where he was broken and damaged. He was burning out. He was... He was a poster child for drugs not making you happy. And success and fame not making you happy. Yeah, thank you. Which is really a lesson that's never been learnt. Or rarely discussed. Or, yeah, rarely discussed. But mm. everybody still wants to be famous. Well, the younger people. Yeah. yeah. And um, I don't see many upsides. <laughs> no. Uh, look, one of the privileges we get around Joy is that you get to meet some people every now and again who are known out in the community far mm. better than what we are. And it is quite annoying when you maybe have a coffee or lunch with them. It's people come up and want to be their best mate and talk to them. And yeah. you're just trying to spend time with one of your mates and it's... Yeah, being famous, not a good thing. I was in an Apple reseller in Elstonwick that's no longer there, so we don't have to name them. Andrew Gaze, the basketball player, was in talking technology, and he was sitting, because when he's standing, you can't talk to him because you can't see his face. But he was sitting on the rear wall of the shop, and this kid who'd just been walking by came into the shop, walked the entire length of the store, walked up to him and said, are you Andrew Gaze? (laughs) (laughs) And yes, and signed an autograph, but yeah, it must be really annoying. This particular film, uh, Rocket Man, is a movie about Elton John's formative years, apparently. Everybody thinks it's a biopic. It isn't. It's a fantasy musical, so so it's actually his songs used to express important beats in his life at emotional moments. And he's not the only character that sings, but it's going to be fun. Quite a few of his songs have got moral messages in them, and I don't know whether we we actually listen to the lyrics sometimes. We just bop along with the song, Well, the, generally. Uh, he sings what he knows, yeah. which most artists would do. But there's a song, there was a guy who used to pick up his transcripts and music and deliver them. He's literally a delivery boy, and his name was Guy. And he was killed in an accident. And Elton John wrote a song for Guy. Oh, right. I never knew that. Thank you for that interesting piece of trivia. So when you're at that part of your career where just stuff falls out of your head, (laughs) which seems to happen to all artists and then it dries up. But, um, yeah, you could literally write about anything. Interesting stuff. Let's have some music. All right, then we will. We're going to be talking about airline travel, our aircraft, where we hope to be safe and sound. And, uh, well, the song that we've got from Capital Cities is called Safe and Sound. You're on Joy. Love radio? Joy is now on iHeartRadio. Turn us on anywhere. 
Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Thank you very much, Frank Sinatra. Yes, we, we, we will go flying with Will. Again. Again, indeed. You, you liked your first trip. You want to do it all again. <laughs> well, we flew away. Now we're flying back, you see. That's what they... That's a good point. It was a, a return deal, wasn't it? It was, yes. What yeah. I'm fascinated about, not that I'm flying anywhere anytime soon, but the day of the week affects the price of the ticket. Uh, look, everything affects the price of the ticket. It is as complex as the stock market nowadays. The time you're going when from you're flying, point A to point B. I know, but it all actually works on demand of the seat. So it's like a stock. If a stock has a high demand, it is costly. Uh, if it's a low demand stock, it is cheaper. So a seat on a Friday, 5 o'clock going back to Sydney, very expensive. A lot okay, of people well want to go to Sydney. But, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Do we overbook in Australia? No. Internationally, I believe some airlines do, Okay, but generally domestically, no. I've been sitting in planes in America with my fingers crossed. Mm. <laughs> bump me, bump me, because you get all the presents. You get cash. <laughs> yeah. You get overnight hotels and all sorts of things. I've never understood that. I have seen it. I have been a part of that. Uh, I don't know why they do it. I don't know their theory behind it, but... The way I would see you would see overbooking here is when a plane breaks down, it's cancelled, and the onflow of passengers that yeah. come through from previous flights. No, there's apparently a formula where if you've got a fully booked plane, mm. there might be six passengers won't show up just through experience. That and is very overbooking true. Compen- overcompensates for that, or can overcompensate yeah. for that at times. Yeah. But the way planes break down sometimes too, uh, yeah, you're going to have an on-flow anyway. So mm. once again, I look at that and go, why do you bother doing it, guys? Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I've booked my ticket got, mm. and got on board. I am told that the snake, where we've got to walk backwards and forwards behind those little retractable straps before we even get to the check-in counter, there so that the CCTV can scan us. I don't think that's probably the reason why that that's there, to be brutally honest. I think that's, that's more a, just passenger management and having people orderly line up without going out the door because yeah, naturally yeah. people would just line up and then head out the door. So It's called a Disneyland line. All the popular rides have those. Yeah. Unfortunately, they also have little signs that says, from this point, you're waiting for another 60 minutes in line. Mm. <laughs> Never nice. like those. I would say the CCT facial recognition scanning, scanning would be a, a post analogy of that well it could be for international flights yeah but then right here gives them an extra for biometrics it's that's an security is an area that's i will always say it's none of my business whether they do it or not i actually do not know but yeah okay i'm sitting in my seat Mm. um the doors have been closed with a big bang thump uh and and there's a couple of messages given to me there's the uh, the host I was going to say the hostesses, but we don't have hostesses. Flight Cabin attendants. attendants, flight <laughs> attendants. Uh, they, they give us various messages. And I've still got my face in the magazine. Well, yeah. What am I missing out on? Well, you were talking about the safety brief? Oh, yes. Yeah, that no. is amongst anything. Look, that to me is well, it's a requirement, uh, certainly by our authorities, uh, CASA, uh, that the safety features of the aeroplane needs to be demonstrated to all the passengers. Uh, A lot of people have the attitude that I've seen this a million times, why do I need to see it again? But more often than not, you can be on an aeroplane that you're not familiar with. So uh, apart from being extremely rude, ignoring the safety demonstration, you can probably miss something of difference if you travel on a different aeroplane or with a different airline. So it's always wise to... I, Even though I might be a licensed engineer on on that very type of aeroplane, I still watch the, the safety demonstration. I always watched it because, yeah, I felt rude 
not yeah. watching it. <laughs> it's just amazing the people that just, uh, to me, it's the, the epitome of rudeness that you... That and I do. also think it's something that needs to be drilled into you because in the event that you need those instructions, mm. you'd better remember them. Exactly. Because you're not going to be in your best way, are you? You're going to be in a fight or flight mode. You're not going to be thinking the best. And That's you right. need everything that you can to yeah, be on top of it. So how you put that life jacket on and how... You inflate it and how but, you can alternatively inflate it. And you when you that. inflate it. And when you inflate because it. Because they always tell you not to inflate it inside the cabin. That's right. And that's been demonstrated on many TV shows in a water landing. Yeah. You float to the ceiling with your life-saving device holding you up against the roof yeah. instead of allowing you to get out the door. Now, that very uh, analogy was born tragically on that Egypt Air 767 that was hijacked, and they ordered the pilot to fly the airplane to Australia. didn't have the fuel. Mm. The airplane ran out of fuel, and the pilot was smart. He kept the airplane near the coast, yeah. and he had to perform a water ditching because the airplane ran out of fuel. And unfortunately, in the wreckage, a lot of the passengers were found in the wreckage with their life jackets yeah. inflated. And they were literally pinned to the roof. So and they, that landing was famously caught on video. That was too, yeah. So you can see that on all your social media memes. Did it break up because the engines were under the no. the first thing to hit the water? The engines hit the water, they would have torn off straight away. And okay. then the rest of the structure would have then rested on the water. And it, it, the planes are built very light. Mm. A lot of people don't understand this, but they're, they're, they they look very solid and they are very strong, don't get me wrong, <laughs> yes. but when you put it in a high speed, in a medium of like such a water, it is like hitting concrete and mm. they just, uh, you've got to imagine airplanes like a Coke can, it's a similar consistency in a lot of sense, right. so when you hit water, it's just going to tear apart and it'll break generally in, in two spots where we where they're we call the construction joints. So they yeah. tend to split into th- into three pieces. Wow. Also part of the cabin advices, mm-hmm. we're told about the uh, oxygen masks will drop down. Now, what, what what's that all about, please? Okay, so the aeroplane flies at high altitude. So at high altitude, there's no pressure of air. So you can't absorb the oxygen if you breathe at altitude. So you will die, and you will die very quickly. So what we do is we keep the aeroplane at a roughly at sea level we we actually go up a little bit in the cabin pressure but yeah. it is the pressure is maintained inside the cabin for what you are now experiencing relatively close to the ground now if the cabin pressurization system fails or there's a rupture of the structure you're going to lose the cabin pressure and you're going to not get the oxygen you need to live so you need the supplement oxygen so what we have on the aeroplane is the pilot will have an alarm if the cabin, we call it the cabin altitude, starts to climb and gets to a certain point. The pilots get an alarm. They will put on their oxygen masks. They will then pick up a checklist to go through the necessary things. And a part of that checklist is to deploy the cabin oxygen yeah. masks. Now, if that fails, there's a switch, a pressure switch under the floor. It will sense the pressure of the cabin. And if the pilots miss that because they may be uh, incapacitated, the oxygen masks will, I think it's around 15,000 feet, cabin pressure will then drop automatically. Now, when the masks drop, makes a big bang. A lot yeah. of people say, oh, I heard a big bang and the mask drops. Well, that's actually that's the mask. When you get all those doors opening up at once, it makes a big bang. So the masks drop out and they have a little can. 
Now, in the can, it's like a it's not not a mortine can, but it's a similar size to a mortine can. You have two chemicals: a sodium chloride and a barium barium peroxide. I think, if my memory serves me correctly. And there's a couple of other tiny little chemicals in there. But what you do is you pull the mask down. It has a little firing pin, and it sets off a little charge, which now start gets those chemicals mixing together and. They mix together, creates a lot of heat. So when that's happening, don't touch that can above you. It's a very, very hot source. But the byproduct of those two chemicals burning is pure oxygen. And that's what gets then fed down to you to breathe. Oh, wow. So it's a little oxygen can. And it's enough to supply you for around 10 minutes or 15 minutes so the aeroplane can descend to a safe altitude. That's the thing you hear customers complain about. Mm -hmm. We were at normal flying altitude and for some reason the pilot pointed the straight plane straight down of course he's trying to get under 10,000 feet where there's oxygen yes but people don't know that they think oh we're in some uncontrollable dive i know and and i've been on test flights and i said to the pilots can you demonstrate to me from 35,000 feet down to say 15,000 an emergency descent and yeah it's a it's it's quite a quick oh look it's 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 fun (laughs) i mean especially when you know about it but but they, they literally pull the throttles back to idle and they pull full speed brake out and nose down and they maintain a, a high speed with the brakes on, literally. So they're descending, you know, around 7,000 feet yeah. per minute or thereabouts, depending on the aeroplane. Can we just get back to that chemical mix? Mm-hmm. Because my assumption when I was younger that it was a can of oxygen. No. And I often worried about that because Apollo 1 Ooh. in Florida, they were breathing pure oxygen and they got a spark and they all died. Thanks. Obviously, we don't want pure oxygen sitting in cans in an aeroplane. Well, no, we don't. We do have an oxygen cylinder, which is for the pilots. Yeah. That, that is crew oxygen. There is oxygen bottles, portable I've oxygen seen, yeah, bottles. For the crew. for the flight attendants. Yeah. So they, they can now get around the cabin. Well, they don't want to hold this thing over their mouth. And well, they can't be, be they can't be stationary in their yeah. seats. They need to go and attend to people yeah. to make sure they've got their masks on, so they need to have portable oxygen. And the bag does not inflate? That is correct. The bag does not inflate. People do get worried about that. But uh, essentially, it is pure oxygen that's coming out. But what's the difference between Apollo 1 and an airliner mm. is that the Apollo 1, the whole, the whole cabin was pressurized 100% oxygen. Yeah. And that was the inherent danger of, of it all. And the Russians suffered exactly the same thing. They were pressurising their spacecraft with 100% oxygen. What did they see as the advantage there, though? Surely it didn't need to be. No, it or didn't. as it turns out, it didn't need to it be. It didn't but. need to be. It was a completely dangerous, and a really dangerous practice for the, the advantages that it gave. Well, if you're given the fact that they're sitting on top of a bomb yeah, with pure oxygen. This and in a bomb. And it just took the slightest spark and you were gone. So yeah. it was, to me, it was insane. So, yeah. We learn slowly. <laughs> we do indeed. Well, thank you. We've got to have a little piece of music, which I think I might make shorter. Because what you're telling us is so interesting. We've got to come back. We've got to do some special messaging as well. You're on joy. Been there, done that. Don't stop moving.
You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9 in Melbourne. Joy.org.au for the world. You're with Been There Done That, Phil, Chris and Will. Can't we have the whole song? Oh no, it is a good song. I I actually found the actual TAA one the other day. I should have given it to uh, Chris to put out. How much that cost them? Oh, who knows? Brilliant old uh, remembering those oh, the, uh, old the uniforms of the crew yeah. would have been funny. <laughs> True. Before the music, we were talking about sitting in our seat and, and the the pre flight instructions. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things is make sure your bra straps are right. No, no, it's, it's crossing your bra. No, I, what, what is that? Uh, Arm doors and cross check. Oh, okay. And on landing, we have disarm doors and cross check. Okay, so <laughs> that is now the arm doors and cross check is as a command given after the safety demonstration is done. The aeroplane is taxing, and so we've got got doors in the aeroplanes which the people come and go on, and on the other side, same doors. They're used to service the catering and cleaning, etc. When the aeroplane's taxing and now going for takeoff, those doors are now emergency devices. And if an emergency happens and you open the door, a slide will come out and inflates very, very quickly and you'll be able to escape from the aeroplane. The thing is you don't want that slide inflating during a normal passenger embarkation and de-embarkation. So what you do is you, you have this slide where you can have it on or off or armed or disarmed. So basically when, when you start taxiing, they arm the doors. So at that point now, if you were to open the door, the slide will then come out. And that's the only way it can be activated. Yeah, now there's, depending on the type of aeroplane, on some of the Boeings, they have a bar that they put on the floor, which locks the slide into the floor. So when the door opens up, the door goes out and it pulls the slide out of the canister. It sets off a trigger and it will inflate. So when they disarm it, they'll lift the bar out of the door and settle it onto these hooks onto the door itself. On more advanced Boeings and most Airbuses, or all Airbuses really, they actually just have a lever on the door itself, which arms the door. Oh. Right. That's that big. It looks like an arm. Well, no, there's a little little lever. So you've got the normal door opening handle, but yeah. you've got it like a, behind a plastic cover. They'll remove the plastic cover. On the 330, there's a pin. They'll take a safety pin out. They'll arm the little lever and put the pin back in. Now, the cross-check part of it is, so imagine you and I, Phil, as if we're flight attendants. Yeah. I know it's hard to imagine, but just oh, imagine... I, I could be a trolley dollar. <laughs> The command would come out, arm doors and cross-check. So you would go to your door that you're assigned to. And you would arm it. arm it. And I would arm my door. And then the cross-check part is you would go to my door and check that I've done it correctly. And I would go to your door and check that you've done it correctly. That's so the cross-check. if I'd been paying more attention, I would have actually seen that. Correct. But the cross-check, I, I figured the arming bit mm. myself, but cross-check, I, I don't have actually recall seeing anybody cross-checking anything, but I don't know what I was looking yeah. for. You're not, probably not knowing what you're looking for. And also on landing, they'll then call out, usually the pilot calls out when he declares the plane's in a safe in- situation. And it's usually as you're turning into the gate, it's disarm doors and cross-checks. So then they'll either, depending on the type, remove oh, okay. the bar from the floor or get the lever, the automatic lever and put it into the disarm position. So now you can open and close the door without the slide inflating. That's all it I, is. I don't recall hearing the disarm... But if I recall being at that stage of the flight where we're virtually at the gate, 
most people are excited sitting about back where they're and yeah. they're standing up. They're trying to get their yeah. cabin baggage, and I'm just thinking, just sit down, people, and do this in an orderly manner. Yeah, a lot of people will miss that because you know, obviously, they're excited about where they're going. They're yeah. too busy thinking, about, I've got to get my bag, and I've got Others to get my passport, or I've got to get praying a taxi. to God for the safe landing. Yeah, <laughs> and I love it sometimes when a bumpy flight lands and everybody cheers. Hooray! <laughs> Is that an American thing? I've had it in it's- Europe. I've had it's, it in Europe. Is that disrespectful to the pilot? No. And it's like, you know, you made it this time. <laughs> no. Thanks for that. <laughs> I think people are just thankful that they're they're at where they're at and the pilots have done a great job, yeah. But it's really funny. It's, I've been on planes and we've landed and the passenger beside me has gone, oh, we're, we're down, it's safe. And I'll go, we haven't stopped yet. <laughs> Landing's easy. The science in the engineering is actually stopping this thing and that's yeah. that's the hard part. So. Yeah, I'm relieved once we get about below 60 knots. We've taken off mm-hmm. and we're up in the sky and we've got a destination in mind, or the pilot has. Mm-hmm. I understand, though, from looking at Flight Radar 24, that there are actually roads in the air that they travel along. And so why do they always follow the same path? Is there navigational aids that they are following, a little beeper line or a yellow line on the road? It effectively is. There's In the olden days, there used to be radio navigation beacons. They're more obsolete nowadays. Thanks with GPS, we have what we call waypoints. They're imaginary points in the sky that are all over the place. So when you go, say, let's just talk about Melbourne to Brisbane, for example. When you depart, you've got to depart from the airfield and you get to your first waypoint. And how you get to that first waypoint also can be varied. So then you, you get to your first waypoint and then obviously you want to get to Brisbane on the shortest possible sector. You know, yeah. So generally, it's a set of waypoints, and they, they follow the same line. Yeah. Uh, and it, it becomes very much a roadway in the sky. Mm. What I've noticed, again, on that same website, mm. is that planes, say Melbourne to Brisbane, will fly over Sydney Actually, at altitude. Me- How about New Zealand? They, they seem to fly over Melbourne when Melbourne's not the destination. I just wonder if there's a, a rule behind that or something. Okay, well, generally you have multiple flight path tracks that you can take and mm. on longer distance flights they become imperative because you look at the winds that are at altitude and you want to take a flight path route which can vary. Mm. So generally going to Sydney and all that, there's not much variation, but say if you're doing Melbourne to Dubai, there's lots of variations. You can sometimes go south of Perth and then up a- across the Indian Ocean to right. Dubai. Sometimes you can go literally up over Broome, over Indonesia. That's a wide path. That's that's a wide variation. Or anything in between. So what you're trying to do is you know the weather along the route. Computers naturally work all this sort of stuff out, and they'll tell you which flight path track is the most efficient with the winds that are currently there at the moment. Mm. So that's why you see those variations. Okay. But the waypoints will always be, whilst they are imaginary points in the sky, they are fixed to the land, those those waypoints, because it's a GPS coordinate. Mm. One of the other mysteries I've got is actually not in air, but it's on the ground. Mm -hmm. What happens to my luggage when it disappears down the mechanical chute, and why does my suitcase always come out last? Oh, so does mine. (laughs) We should have a competition whose suitcase comes out last. Uh, And it it, it does appear that there's a bit of manual magicry in getting your suitcase, but I understand the computers actually sort the suitcases as they go down the chute. There's nothing sinister about your suitcase going away. It's just literally a, a trolley of belt. You know, like you're going to Sydney and Phil's going to Brisbane. Well, obviously you don't want 
yeah. the Brisbane bag going on the Sydney trolley, so on and so forth. So that's why you have your barcodes, your electronic tag. I mean, on the old days, they used to write on it, it's going to Sydney. Mm. But when it disappears from you, it'll go through a laser scanner and then it'll go, oh, Phil, your bag's off to Brisbane and it will then flick it down to the Brisbane trolley and then there'll be a person there who'll put it either in the container, depending on the type of the aeroplane, or onto a trolley, which will be then taken out to that aeroplane. That's when they put the sticker on that says, remove this one last. (laughs) It's got your name on it. Special stickers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, there are stickers for heavy, and there is priority, especially if you as a passenger are going to another flight and the luggage that make the connection as well as you make the new connection. Slightly off topic. Mm-hmm. When you're packing your bag, assume that it's going to go through hell. Oh, yeah. Because the baggage handlers don't care. This guy in America, they broke his guitar. Yeah. And he wrote a song called Airline X Breaks Guitars. With the broken guitar, I hope. Well, no, it was beyond playable. But, um, of course, online that really took off. Oh, yeah, it would. But it would um, definitely. they don't have time to be careful with your bags. And look, that's I think that's an inherent problem with all businesses around the world nowadays. Mm. You know, it's, the care is probably not there as much as what we'd like to see. Certainly old, not old-fashioned care. Have we become blasé about flying? Yes. Because my ex-partner, Curtis, mm-hmm. showed me certificates he got from Continental Airlines every time they passed the international dateline. They got a, a certificate to say they passed the dateline. Certainly in my generation, and you guys would definitely have seen this, you know, the, the glamour of travel has definitely changed over the, over the decades. Are they bringing that back with these huge first and business class I mean, that modules? In a, that in itself is a, is a nice luxury, uh, but you still, you know, things have been, to me, have been tarnished by security mm. and all its complexities and, and I think a lot of over-safety as well. The glamour of travel certainly been, it's been eroded away. We've got Cash Cash here. They're going to sing to us. Take me home. You're on joy. Thanks, Will. We'll come back after the music and wrap up. Thank you. Been there, done that. Joy, 94.9. Falling to pieces, but I need this. Yeah, I need this. You're my fault, my weakness. When did you turn so Joycasts and show blogs, go to joy.org.au. You're with Chris, Phil and Will. Been there, done that, Joy 94.9. On the home stretch, but we've still got a couple of little matters to discuss. Someone's having a birthday on the 21st of March in the year 2233. A certain Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise will be born. In Iowa. I was just going to ask where. Yeah. Yeah, Iowa. I think that turned up in one of the movies because he, he lives in Iowa but works in outer space. <laughs> <laughs> Is there just, much of a difference? Well, I, yeah. 
That is fascinating. Um, do you guys remember the first Star? Now, is it Star Trek or Star Trek? Trek. Trek, the right. Trekking. Star oh. Trek is the Courier's owned by Australia Post. You know yeah. how many times I've got in trouble for saying it wrong. I can imagine. <laughs> well, just don't call it Star Trekking. Wars. No. <laughs> do you guys remember the first episodes? I do. And then what year was that? Oh, mid to late 60s. Mm-hmm. So it's very much part of the Peace, Love and Mung Beans movement. Mm-hmm. I would imagine some drugs of choice were used during the production process. During the writing process. Um, but it was a dismal failure. It was a ratings flop. Was it really? Yeah. And I, I don't recall how many episodes they made, but the trick was if you're a guest star or an extra and they put you in Starfleet uniform, chances are you're going to die. Because <laughs> none of the main crew could die. They that's didn't true. have enough. No, that's right, yeah. So, and one of the... Oh, the movie with Tim Allen, which basically took the... Psst, yes, that. Yeah. Out of the Star Trek universe. Um, they had a character called Guy. And he said, I'm going to die. I don't even have a last name. And he figured he was just this, this character that was just not going to make it. When you look back on the history of Star Trek... Uh, it's quite fascinating because they really crossed a lot of boundaries considering the times in the 60s. It was the first interracial kiss on television. Well, they didn't have a gay person, which is disappointing. Well, they did, did, but they weren't in character. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, what's yeah. his name? Um, he's gay in real life. Yes. Yeah. But not in character. I think that would have been pushing the too point. far. Yeah. The, but yet they had, it was, their whole political system in Star Trek was based around socialism, which once again, yeah. the Americans were too stupid to realise it or really push the boundaries. I find that fascinating. In the later series, like The Next Generation, they'd have people coming out of stasis and they had this rich Texan and this is like 400 years after his death and they froze him, um, of course, and they recovered him because whatever he died, I was now just done with a, a pill or a laser. And he wanted to check on his finances and his wealth. And they had to explain to him, well, we don't have money anymore. And your money and the establishments that provided for it don't exist anymore. And he was most upset. But he couldn't handle the the back to the peace, love and mung beans thing. Mm. It was just everybody coexists. And who doesn't love warp drive? I love warp drive, but I can't afford one. I tend to get it when I'm going home from work. But apart from that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, we haven't quite figured out how to do that. No, no. In international news, we had the report in early March that uh, the US officials of the Food and Drug Administration has encouraged the daily use of that PrEP pill, Truvada, as an HIV prevention strategy. And whilst most people who are already positive take this particular pill on a regular basis... Those that indulge in or enjoy casual sex were being advised that you can also get some form of prevention if you take the pills an hour or so before having sex, then one pill 24 hours later, and then one final pill, sort of a you know on-demand. But that was in the beginning of March, but by the end of March in Australia, we had that sad report from Sydney. A Sydney man has become the second gay Australian to contract HIV despite taking medication that promised to prevent the spread of the disease. And Steve, 27, had been taking it on this casual basis. And then he went for his regular tests and lo and behold, he'd actually become positive. So in the space of a month, we've actually had to rethink how good is PrEP and how good are condoms and how good is behaviour. Yeah, look, once again, a lot of this is all new to me. 
just coming out of about two or three years ago. And prep was a little bit of a topic that was talked about among the studio here, among various shows. So it was like, wow, and it was marketed or talked about as magic prevention. But I think the idea of if you're going to be practicing sex, you want to practice safe sex because AIDS is not the only nasty thing out there. Mm. And whilst it might have been a magic prevention, clearly now we're getting evidence that it's not the magic prevention pill, but uh, safe sex should always have been maintained despite the the opportunity that this pill gave us all. I wonder if this will come down to being this drug hasn't had the desirable effect with this individual. Maybe. Because Um, I don't know if there are drugs that one size fits all. I don't know whether drugs work that way. but No, and I don't, once again, not knowing anything about drugs, one could only surmise that's the case. But we still need to have the safe sex message. Continually, because AIDS is not the only nasty thing out there. There's lots of other nasty stuff yeah. out there as well. So, And I think it's dropped off with the, I guess, advances in medication, mm. but the individual responsibility is still there. Mm. And I'm worried about young men today not knowing this. Yeah. Medicos were suggesting that if everybody who's got HIV was put on to Truvada, then there'd be suppression of the, the virus in, say, remote communities, and that would then stop the reinfection or the infection of other people of that community mm. and, and break the chain. Perhaps it's not going to be a guarantee that we were hoping it's going to be. We're humans. Certainly a step in the right direction, though. Certainly is. Yeah, worth improving on. Well, at least we're discussing medications that have got positive results, mm. whereas initially it was trial and error. And yeah. look, statistically, what is it? Two two guys in yeah. the last couple mm. of years, you could say, have, mm. have had a negative result from this thing. So, whilst it's not absolutely perfect, the the it's, statistics suggest we're going in the right direction. For sure. Well, thank you for taking us in the right direction, letting us know about the aviation industry from your perspective because we usually as passengers don't know what's happening outside we just want our trolley service <laughs> not no. my problem no thank thank you for having me i'm truly honored to actually be a part of this show for at least a, just a couple of episodes it's All been right, fantastic we'll, we'll send gordon on more holidays <laughs> you'll have me back <laughs> yeah, will you definitely no that would be a pleasure i'd like to be back this is it's great talking about history and having a great chat and how working with you guys it's brilliant. how it all fits together yeah there yeah. we go will thank you phil thank you and dill thank you Join us next week for another episode of Been There, Done That. Gordon will be back. Bye for now. (laughs) Bye-bye. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.